Well, in December of this past year, we began a, a journey walking through a, a series that I'm calling Rooted. And it all began uh, with a sermon based on uh, the passage I want to remind you of this morning. It's Psalm 1. And, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open there. Psalm 1. I just want to read through this psalm and remind us what we're here to do, what this series is intended to do to us, which is uh, found here in, in Psalm 1. one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So we open this series with this image of this tree standing firm. I imagine it is this tall redwood tree, if you've ever been to the redwood forest, that's planted by this tiny seed, and yet it springs forth into these roots that run deep into the ground and stand firm. And we acknowledge as a church that we want to be a church that's rooted, that stands firm in the midst that all life brings to us. We want to be giant redwoods in a culture that seems to need more trees. Amen? And so far, we've focused on three of the elements, three of the seeds that we've been trying to plant into our lives that are the gospel of Jesus Christ. These symbols behind us are the series we've walked through. The first of these symbols is a downward arrow that reminds us of the incarnation of Jesus, of God coming into our world. The second was a focus that we focused on for several weeks on the cross and on death. Uh, But since Easter, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that brings life to our own bodies and that calls us into the abundant life that Jesus has promised those who are in His name. Now this morning, I'd like to turn over to the Gospel of John to talk more about this abundance. Jesus talks about coming to give us a a, a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life. And he talks a little bit about how this life comes in John 15, verse 1, with an image where he says that I'm the vine. I want to read these verses. It's a similar image to this tree imagery when it comes to our life rooted in Christ. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in John 15, Jesus shares the secret of how we live an abundant life. That abundant life is found when we are connected to the true source of life that is the vine. Jesus is that vine. And so we talk about this image of Psalm 1 being trees that are planted deep. And Jesus returns to this image again, not quite the redwood tree image perhaps, but this vine image that we are to abide in Christ to find that life, which is an interesting 
paradox, this idea of abiding. I, that's not language I use very often, but the word abide means to remain stable, to remain in a fixed state. Kind of a, a strong root system reminds me of this image. But the paradox is this, growing up in church, what I learned when it came to standing firm in the abundant life and growing in Christ, most of the conversation I remember was about the action that I was supposed to take so that I could plant myself deeply in the rooting of the gospel. It was, uh, I need to be baptized. It was that I need to step into the full life. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray often. I need to fast. I need to, it was this long list of things that I was to do in order to find life in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus talks about the abundant life and he calls himself the vine, the first command isn't anything that we do. The first command is that we abide. It's almost as if we do nothing. We, we sit and we wait and we gain relationship with Jesus. It's not in our action that we gain the life that's found in Christ. It's in our inaction and it's in our sitting with Jesus and finding our source in Him alone. It's in His action, in fact. So this morning, in the midst of all the striving that you're involved in in your lives, in the midst of trying to figure out how in the world you're going to pay for that uh, April 15 bill, right? In the midst of whatever it is that you come in with a heart that is just beating much too fast for a sitting heart rate, I want to ask you this morning before we pray and before we enter into this abundant life more that you would just take a moment to breathe this morning. Just breathe in deeply. And it's okay to keep doing that while I pray in just a moment. I, I hope this morning you'll abide. Part of that's just finding our breath and our life again in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for the breath of life that You breathe into us every moment. It is a gift. And this morning, God, in the midst of our striving, we sit for a moment trying to remain undistracted long enough to hear some word from You today. This morning, God, I, I'm excited about the message I get to share because I believe it's a message our culture needs desperately. I believe it's a message I need desperately. And I pray that You would help me through your words, to implant that message in your people today. God, may you pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, as we seek to abide in Jesus this morning, I'll ask you to turn to one other place in Scripture where we'll spend a lot of time this morning. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the uh, first five books of the Old Testament is where we'll spend our time a little bit this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is an interesting book. Deuteronomy is a book, and especially at the end, it's a, really a speech from Moses who's led his people out of bondage, and they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses has a message to remind them of all that God has shared with them. So Deuteronomy 30 is this passage, but prior to that, verses 20, chapters 28 through 30, I'd invite you to go back this week and look more into all that Moses shares, because Moses isn't going to get to go into the promised land. His life on earth is about to come to an end. So as he encourages his people to take these steps in the land that God has promised them, he has some reminders for them. And that's the context in which these verses come this morning. So in Deuteronomy 28, he gives the people two options. He says, you can do all that God has commanded you to do. And if you obey his commands, life will go well with you. You will receive life. But if you disobey the commands God has given you, uh, there will be curses that will be placed on you. It's a very simple thing. If you follow these things, it's going to go well. And if you don't follow them, it's not going to go so well. And instead of like a coach that sends the team back out on the field in the locker room into the promised land, 
Moses kind of messes up his ending in chapter 30. Because he doesn't just say, okay, so choose life. It's your job to get life. Grab it by the, by the horns and make sure you follow all of God's commands. What he says is, okay, I've laid it out before you, but here's the reality. You're going to disobey God. I know you well enough to know you're not going to get this right. But I also know God well enough to know he's going to give you a second chance. And so he, you're going to go into the promised land. You're going to make a mess of things. You're going to end up in a foreign land as exiles where you don't want to be. And, and God's going to forgive you again because that's just what God does. I don't know why he does it. I'm kind of tired of him doing it with you people. But I get to leave now and you get to go into the promised land. That's the pep talk. And then come these words on the back end of that in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. And I hope these words this week will mean as much to you as they've meant to me. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Which is a bit odd after what he's just said, because he just said you're going to make a mess of things, right? Verse 12. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. This is the word of the Lord, and it is a good word this morning. But what does that mean? The word is very near to you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. The word of God has some interesting places that comes up in Scripture. Maybe John 1 is the one, uh, a place you remember of Jesus being described as the Word. But the Word of God is the commands of God. That's what Moses has laid out to them. These are the commands of God. Follow them or not. It's the presence of God uh, that's near them. And what is Moses saying about the abiding presence of God? What he's saying is uh, some people are going to go off across the oceans to search for it. And some are going to think it's found in the heavens or up on Mount Sinai where I went before. But I'm here to tell you the Word of God is not far off. It's not even in a specific location. The Word of God is is in your heart, it's in your mouth, it's very near to you. You don't have to go searching high and low for it. The Word of God, just like the kingdom of God, is within you. Which is exactly what Jacob, their forefather, had said earlier in the story, in the book of Genesis. Uh, In Genesis 28, Jacob is in a place called Bethel, or it will become Bethel, which means the house of God. And while he is asleep, he has a dream. In fact, if you'd open with me to that, Genesis 28. Keep a finger there in Deuteronomy, if you would. Genesis 28. I'll read in just a moment, but I want to remind you of the story. You probably may have heard in, in BBS stories growing up. Jacob falls asleep, and he has this image, this dream, this vision. And there's a stairway uh, that's going all the way from earth, ascending to heaven. There's angels that are coming up and down on it. And, and this is what he says after he has this vision, after he awakes. This is Genesis 28 and verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. See, he, Jacob acknowledges something that sometimes we get backwards, because what I hear us say most often when something good happens in our lives is, it was a God thing. God showed up, right? Which isn't exactly what happens at all. It's actually backwards. What Jacob says is, surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. It's not that God is somewhere else and He just emerges and breaks through into our world when good things happen because the opposite would be to say that when 
things don't show up, then God must be somewhere else. What Jacob says is, I wasn't aware that God was here all along. Which sounds a little bit like Deuteronomy 30, doesn't it? The Word isn't across the ocean. It isn't up in the heavens. The Word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. There are several mistakes we make when we seek to live the abundant life that is rooted in Jesus Christ. I want to talk about a couple of those mistakes that we make, about the Word being in us. It's here. It's, it's in our mouths. It's in our hearts. But sometimes we forget that. One of the ways that we make that mistake is something I'll call the Uncle Rico mistake. There's got to be some laughter from some of you who've seen that cult classic movie in 2004, Napoleon Dynamite, right? If you haven't, you're going to sit through a clip in a minute. You're going to wonder what in the world that was about. And sorry if you have an Uncle Rico, by the way. That's not really positive in this example. Uncle Rico is the beloved uh, uncle of uh, Napoleon and Napoleon Dynamite. And I don't have a way of describing him other than just to show him to you. So this is Uncle Rico. Sorry if you haven't seen it. That probably doesn't have any context to it. Many of you know Uncle Rico, even if he has a different name, right? You're around the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table, and it's always about all those good old days, right? About the past, about nostalgic remembrances of what used to happen. And how many of you think some people, when you hear these stories over and over again, you think, man, they're living in the past. They're not even in the present. And regret happens this way in our lives. Many of us live with regret over moments, over mistakes that we've made or chances we didn't take. And we live with regret And regret is an emotion that only happens when we're living in the past. But sometimes it's not regret in a negative sense. Sometimes it's nostalgia, which we see as a more positive term than regret. Nostalgia is to look back fondly on memories that maybe we don't remember quite as clearly as we once did. Those childhood moments, I'll tell you, it's not as good as it was right now, okay? I have young kids, and there's great moments, but every moment in life has its positives and negatives. Things we look back on fondly and things we forget to look back on a little bit more negatively, perhaps. So perhaps you didn't take that risk and you played it safe when you had the chance to do something big. That's regret, but nostalgia is to look back and think, man, I just wish things would go back to the way they were. And maybe it's not you as an individual, maybe it is, but sometimes, have you ever been a part of a group that is nostalgic? That the new life's coming into it, and great things are happening, but all we can ever talk about, it seems like, is, man, I wish things were just what they were back in the past. And if you're living in that place, if you're living nostalgically about the past, always seeing every new innovation, or, or how things are today as if it's some trouble that's upsetting the way things used to be, you're never going to find God in the present moment and what He's doing here and now. And there's a certain kind of despair that sets in when we believe things were always better somewhere in the past because sometimes we get stuck in the past. And when we're stuck remembering the past, we're not fully present to embrace how things are today. Some of you are in marriages where you look back and you think your best times are behind you. And you can always remember back about those great moments when you were first starting out Forgetting the fact that those memories can still be made in the same powerful ways today if it wouldn't be about living in the past, but it would be about finding life and all that God offers to you in this present moment. Or maybe you're that high school quarterback that was second string that thinks, I would have taken state, you know, if I had the chance. Maybe you're not living into the present as it is today. Maybe it's more stories 
about the past. Pay attention to the stories you tell. Because it's important to tell stories about the past. I'm not denying that. It's important to pass on these stories to our kids. But if all the stories we tell are about God's action in the past, we forget that God's still doing things in the present. We're not who we were as a group. We're not who we were as individuals. And that's okay because God is always transforming us into His better version of who we should be in the future. We should celebrate the past. Absolutely. We shouldn't stay there. We should continue to look for God's action in the present and be excited for the things He'll continue to do. And why is that? Well, because of what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30.14. No, the Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in those of us who are found in Jesus Christ. Amen? The second mistake we make isn't about regret and nostalgia, about living in the past. The second mistake we make is the once-I mistake. The once-I mistake goes like this. Once I uh, graduate, then life will be found on the other side. Once I get the job, once I get the promotion, once I get married, once we have kids, once we have kids that sleep through the night, once we have kids that graduate, once the car is paid off, once I retire... And it's amazing how your life can pass you by if all you're finding hope in for life is found in the once I mistake. Once I finally get to this next place, then we'll be able to kind of settle down and take a breath. And You're never going to find a breath if you don't take it in the present moment. The happiness is around the corner is the once I mistake. And living that way is its own mistake. Recently, I was having a conversation with someone about this whole topic of abundant life. And I said, what would you share with with the church if you were to, to talk about the abundant life. And really the whole message emerged from this group I was talking with. And this one young woman, single woman, she, uh, she's never been married before, and she was talking about her situation. She said, so many of my friends who are single right now, they, they're putting their life on hold for the person that God's going to send them into their life. She says, I've spent enough time with married women to know that many of them are lonelier than I am in my life. So I'm not going to put my life on hold thinking the future is going to be found in the once I get married mistake. Abundant life is found in the present wherever we find ourselves. And if we can't find it in the present moment, then once we get whatever it is, it's not going to be found there either. You can hope to be as generous as you want to be and you think as soon as I win the lottery or I make it big, then I'll be generous. It never happens that way. Generous people are people who find a way to be generous in the present moment where they are and that always moves forward as God blesses them as their lives go on. If you're dangling the abundant life in front of you, believing it's around the next corner, you are handing your joy over to external things that can't possibly bring you the joy you hope it will. Because joy is not a carrot to be dangled out in front of us. It's a breath away. It's like Moses says in Deuteronomy 30. It's not up in heaven. So that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and Proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you may have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. The abundant life is not found in the past. The abundant life is not found in the future. If you're living right now with your hopes that maybe it's about returning to a specific nostalgic moment, or it's about going forward to this moment where finally it'll be accomplished, it's going to be a sad life of never being fully present in the moment God gives to you. Because the abundant life is always found being fully present.
present in the moment we find ourselves in. And far too often, I am not fully present in the moment. This is what I love about Jesus, about, among so many things, is I think Jesus does this better than anyone in human history has. Being able to be fully present with whoever is in front of him uh, in, in every way he possibly can. So he's on his way to heal somebody's daughter, but on the way, he, he meets this woman that could have been seen as a disruption to the path he's going towards, but what he finds is a woman in front of him that he engages fully, and he's able to find healing for her in that moment before he goes to find healing for the person who needed him before. Every moment that Jesus encounters a person, it almost always is a disruption to where he's going. But he never sees it as a disruption because he sees the disruptions as the very thing that God might be bringing into his life that he can be fully present to and engage. And I'm thinking, how do I live my life that way? How do I live my life so that every inconvenience is not seen as an inconvenience, but it's seen as what could be a divine appointment where life and abundant life could fully be found? If you're looking for a to-do out of this sermon, which I want to remind you, really, it's about abiding, so maybe that's not the right place to go with this message. But if you're one of those people that has to have a takeaway, I've got one for you. I want you to go home, and I want you to ask those closest to you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fully present do I seem to you? And the second thing to do is don't be defensive with the answer. Ask some, your, your roommate, ask your, your spouse, ask that question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how present am I to you? Do I seem in your life? Ask your kids this question and watch out. I did this this week. I gathered the kids around for a conversation. I said, Dad has a conversation he wants to have with you. And what I said was, Dad may need to be punished and you may need to give the punishment. And they were like, oh, we're all in on this. I sat him down on the couch and I said, What's the most frustrating thing about your dad? What is it, the one thing you wish that dad would do to let you know he's here with you in the moment? You know what they said? They said, we'd, we'd really like you to get off your phone. We'd really like, you, when you come home, not to be finishing the call that you started on the way home, but when you come home, to put the phone away and to be present with us. I've noticed this really annoying feature in our culture, which is the technology we have around us. And these are great gifts in so many ways, television and internet and cell phones. But I've got to tell you, one of the things that's taken away our presence with the people in front of us most is our technology. And I've noticed this annoying trait in my children, and it says more about me than it does them. I, they keep trying to get my attention. You know how they get it? They say, Dad, Dad, Dad. And they always have to say it at least three times. And why do you think they say it three times? Because they know they're not going to get it on the first or second. And when I, when I think about how annoying that is, I think about why they have to do this, and then I think, I'm not fully present. And Holly had the same conversation with me recently. She said, you can stay out in the car as long as you need to to finish a conversation, but I would much rather you finish it in the car and be fully present when you walk in that door than walking in the door and thinking about email and everything else in front. Fifteen years from now, I'm going to look back and I'm going to regret every single phone call I had with you all when I could have been fully present with my kids in that moment. And that doesn't mean that I don't need to engage fully in my ministry. I've got plenty of hours to engage in that. 
But I've only got so many with Maddox now that he's in kindergarten, and that's only going to decrease over the years. I want you to think about this, and I want you to ask the hard questions to your kids, to your spouse, whoever is important to you in your life, and ask that question and not be defensive, and then ask the question, what does it look like to be more fully present to the people who are in our lives? I will tell you, this is one of the greatest opportunities we have with people in our community who don't know Jesus. They rarely get people who look them in the eye and give them their full attention. I want you to notice this when you go uh, to a restaurant and you're ordering food, how often our eyes don't even meet the eyes of, of the person who's across from us. That's a real person. And that real person sees hundreds of people go through that never interact and never engage, that are sometimes on their cell phone, which is probably the most annoying habit we possibly can have is they're trying to get our order from us. What would it look like to be a people, to be a church that decides we're going to be fully present to the people in front of us? We're going to know their names. We're going to ask how they're really doing and and realize that the person across the country that we're talking to on the phone is not nearly as important as the person who's sitting across from us. We need new spiritual disciplines for the 21st century, and this is one of them we need to develop. But ultimately, the abundant life isn't just about a better relationship with our friends and our family. It's about a better relationship abiding where true life is found, and that's in Jesus Christ. That's what John 15 tells us about. True life's not found in trying to dig up the soil and create your own growth. Only God can bring growth. So abide in Him. Abundance isn't found in the past, church. Nostalgia and regret are found there. Abundance isn't found in the future. Worry and fear are found there. But you know what is found in the present? It's this list that's in Galatians 5. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You cannot exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in the past or in the present. You can only do it in the, very, or in the future. It can only be done in the present. And every moment you've got that decision, am I going to be present somewhere else? Am I going to have nostalgia and regret be where I live? Am I going to allow fear and worry be about where I live and anxiety about the future? Or is it going to be this moment where God has me, finding everything I can in life there? So let me close by reading this verse I've read several times that may seem like, why is he reading this again? But it's changed my life this week, and I hope maybe it'll change yours as well. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will send into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. This is a hard word to live out. It's a simple word, but it's a hard word. This is not about earning and this is not about doing. This is about finding life in the present moment. It's about taking that deep breath before you respond to your kids. It's about taking that deep breath and looking into your wife or husband's eyes that you've been looking into for years and maybe you've forgotten to look fully at what's going on in their lives. I want to beg you this week, be more present. Find life where it's at in those hard moments that it's easier to say, man, I can't wait till we get to this place. Man, sit in that moment and find life where it is. If you're living in the past, regretting a decision that's keeping you from life in the present, it's time to forgive that past. It's time to confess that to God, to hand it over and say, God, I'm done with living there. I'm going to live right here. This is the word of the Lord, and it is very near.
May we pray as we close. God, we, we thank you for life that's found in your son Jesus. We thank you for this vine that uh, sustains us, that gives us life. And God, we're sorry. We want to confess this morning that too often we've been living in the past or we've been living in, in the future and we've not been fully present to what you want to do in this moment. So God, we want to celebrate the past and we want to seek forgiveness for those moments in the past, God. No longer live there. And God, each day has enough trouble of its own. There's no reason for us to worry and have anxiety about the future. But God, we believe that you are here. We believe you're active. And we believe you're calling us to be fully present to you and to those around us. So God, help us this week. Remind us of the gifts that we have that we just kind of forget in the midst of the busyness of our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.